Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast created to enlighten, inspire, and inform those who work in or depend on the world's most important endeavor, agriculture. Here's your host, Damian Mason. Hey, thanks for joining us here on the Business of Agriculture. It's me, Damian Mason, but you knew that because you just heard the introduction. You know what? We've got a great show for you today, and it's very timely, as you can probably imagine. Uh, the whole world is going crazy right now. Uh, some of it's justified. Some of it, I've said, is probably a little uh, overhyped because humans tend to hit the panic button, and uh, there's a great deal of misinformation and, and uncertainty, and so that's what we're dealing with. So um, today, we're talking about coronavirus and what society can learn from us in American agriculture, particularly here in the United States of America, where we do an amazing job of preventing infectious disease. So I've got a really good guest, smart woman. She is Michelle Gancy. She's a professor of animal science at Fresno State University, which is technically uh, California State University at Fresno. But anyway, she's a bulldog. She's a poultry uh, expert. She and I met, I did a speaking engagement several years ago for a California Poultry Association. She was there with her students. So we met, uh, we've kept a relationship. She gave me a very nice endorsement on my book, Food Fear, which by the way, if you're watching, I'm holding up a copy of it right now. Slow time, maybe your business is a little slow, great time to order in Food Fear and read it, make yourself smarter. Also give it to a friend who's got a little bit of slowdown. So Michelle Gancy, welcome to the Business of Agriculture. Well, thanks for having me, Damien. Um, it's nice to be here with you. And it's, a, as you said, a really important topic and an interesting time uh, in America and, and the world. And, you know, some of the things that we have always done and continue to do well um, are things that we are starting to practice in, uh, you know, our world, um, which is biosecurity. We're trying to do things to continue to keep ourselves uh, safe. Um, we're brushing up on things that we've always done, putting procedures in place uh, to do the best we can to mitigate disease transmission. And these are things that we've always done in American agriculture and do well. Yeah, we do it really well. And I mean, this kind of, I, I guess if you're listening or watching this, by the way, dear listener slash viewer, we now have this on YouTube on the playlist. Uh, go to D Mason Comedy, that's my YouTube channel, uh, and find the Damien Mason playlist uh, is the sorry, the Damien Mason YouTube channel, and it's the playlist is Business of Agriculture, and I also have a playlist for my Do Business Better podcast. And so a theme that's been going here for the last couple of episodes is about this reality of coronavirus. You know, the grocery store shelves are a little bit uh, depleted because people are going crazy on panic buying, God knows, with toilet paper. But the reality is we're still responding very well. Just think of how bad it would be if not only were we in a panic mode with the coronavirus and then also all of the chicken flock was sick or if we had contracted African swine fever. So that's why Michelle's on the show here today to not only, uh, you know, pat ourselves on the back about what a great job we do, but talk about why we do it, how we've done it, and what everyone can learn from it. Um, you know, we have kept mad cow disease at bay in 1995. Some pinhead animal rights wacko went on the Oprah uh, Winfrey show, it was 1996, and said that mad cow disease was going to make uh, AIDS look like the common cold and we would all die, et cetera, et cetera, just doom and gloom. And we have had six cases of mad cow disease come into the United States. A couple of them actually were transport cattle coming in from Canada uh, in, in that 25-year time frame. 
uh, hoof and mouth disease, pretty well eradicated or at least kept at bay. Uh, African swine fever for two years, a threat to the world pork herd, but particularly in China. Yeah, another great disease that China gave us, the African swine fever. And we've kept it at bay here in the world's number two pork producer here in the United States. And then Michelle can tell you about on poultry. Uh, you know, other other flu strains and viral strains are whacking, whacking out, you know, food supply. Poultry, very important food to, protein source to particularly poorer countries. Why are we so good at it? So I, because we've taken it seriously for a really long time, and it, it is no secret that we have the safest food supply in the world and we are diligent about it and we are really good at it and we had a tightening of it really around 1990 when we started talking more about um kind of really the, the uh, biological terrorism and so you know prior to that we had plans in place we were able to tighten them up do a better job of looking at what some of the opportunities for improvement were, but we always had things in place like biosecurity, which really is a set of procedures that we put in place and practice that um, the purpose of it is to reduce the risk of spreading disease. And so, you know, in order to uh, keep um, you know, our animals as healthy as we can, um, you know, all farmers and ranchers, you know, even those growing crops have always done things like that. And so, um, you know, th this is a serious thing, coronavirus. And, you know, I think it, it is something that we should take serious and why we're going to be good at it is because we do some of those things in agriculture in our everyday lives. We just have to you know, continue to be good at it. And, and really it's a matter of getting a hold of, uh, you know, uh, lessening the, the height of the bell curve. And so if we all do our part and we are, you know, I, I do think it's funny, you know, the, the run on toilet paper, um, you know, I think we need to keep our heads about us. I think we need to, you know, do some of those things that we know we are good at and we practice them in agriculture. We were really successful at mitigating exotic um, Newcastle disease, um, it, you know, in the 2000s because we had those procedures in place, USDA, FDA, FSIS, um, you know, all of our governmental agencies that work closely with agriculture worked and they had been practicing it. Okay, to the person listening right now, most of them obviously know the U.S. Department of Agriculture is USDA. FDA is the Food and Drug Administration. FSIS, something we don't hear as much about. What are, what are, what are they doing? The, the Food Safety Inspection Service. So um, meat and poultry inspection, things that we do in meat and poultry plants to um, make sure that biosecurity is done the best that can be done. So it is the producers, the American farmers and ranchers, um, the uh, processing plants working with the federal government to make sure that we're doing the best job and they're doing the best job that they can uh, with uh, food inspection. So it's the safety of food inspection and keeping those things in place that we have always done. So, um, we continue to do those today and what we can learn from it is that you know we we need to continue to practice it um, we need to look at our systems seriously and figure out what that we can do to tighten up our belt like much like we did in the 1990s um, you know when things changed in terms of um, bioterrorism 
Okay, so, you know, this is probably what uh, I, I commonly preach to our uh, agricultural people, like, hey, we've got production down. Uh, we, we, uh, we still in our schools teach production, 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 but the reality is we're pretty darn good at it. That's why there's surpluses of just about everything and the margins on everything from chicken to, to corn to whatever are, are pretty, pretty tight. But one thing that is remarkable about that is that, yeah, we've got production down and that's why I say we can focus on value added products and upselling organic pasture raised, you know, uh, butter sticks, whatever. But the thing is, um, if one big disease strike, you know, if we really did have something like the poultry equivalent of an African swine fever wipe out uh, all the birds in some of the bigger bird producing states from California to uh, the, you know, the southeast uh, to Iowa, uh, we'd be in a hell of a hurt. Um, we prevent it from protocols, right? People like you are out there at Fresno State saying, Here's a couple of things that are as basic as, like I thought when we had to tell Americans, wash your hands. Wait, wait a minute. You had the, you needed the goddamn federal government to tell you to wash your hands. Uh, you guys are kind of grossing me out. Well, we in, in agriculture tell them from the time that they're in VOAG's class, um, if you're going to enter a hog facility, do this. If you're going to enter a poultry facility, do this. So tell me about some of those protocols that are just almost like wash your hands. You know, it's something, again, we've always done, and there are a lot in place. I mean, from, you know, simple production facilities where we wear biosecurity um, booties and a whole biosecurity outfit, um, hairnets, um, goggles, um, you know, to more heightened measures in our breeding facilities that we do shower in and shower out. And um, this is a, kind of funny, but I, you know, in the, in the 80s when I was doing my internship, um, work in the in the poultry business um, I, I took a lot of showers and uh, sometimes six showers a day and so you know really it's a biosecurity a really tight biosecurity procedure we do that in the poultry industry we do it in the hog industry you know uh, a lot of people complain about you know uh, modern production agriculture and some of the ways that we house and grow animals and you know uh, the, the population of California is 38 million people. And so we've got to be able to safely and economically and, um, uh, you know, we've got to be able to feed those people. And it's a large amount of people. Um, and it's a large, uh, uh, not a, an, an urban, you know, it's an urban population. And so a lot of those measures that are put in place seem very extreme to most people, but we've always done them because they're important to, uh, you know, mitigate the risk. So really it's about risk. And that's what we're dealing with with the coronavirus is, you know, we are trying to reduce our risk by creating personal space, by closing bars and restaurants. And so those are some of the things that we have looked at in agriculture and we continue to, uh, you know, practice because it lessens the the risk. So, for example, if I you know go to the neighboring poultry farm and you know I'm just wearing my street clothes and my boots, inanimate objects, I can drag that manure, I can drag that disease you know onto the next farm if I don't put a hurdle essentially in place, something in place to stop that transmission. And so, really, it depends on you know the the number of animals, what type of livestock that we're dealing with what procedures we put in place. But there, there are many different types 
uh, depending on the, the nature of the operation. Okay, so dig this. Uh, it's interesting from the humane societies to the PETAs to the environmental working group to the other opposition, really they're conflict industries. They are groups that make their money in a nonprofit sort of way by protesting what we do in agriculture. They've been remarkably quiet. Now, they wouldn't get much media right now anyhow because it's 24-7 coronavirus. Um, I went to the grocery uh, here last week uh, when the whole paranoia was going on, and I noticed there were no chicken breasts. You could not find a chicken breast. And so right now those cause groups aren't um, lamenting and carrying on and criticizing what we do in agriculture, saying, oh, they're so mean, they house those chickens in too small of pens, whatever, because the animal rights wackos, if they were out protesting uh, in front of the Kroger right now, they might get uh, <laughs> they might get their ass handed to them by people that are trying to hoard up chicken because they need to be quarantined for a couple of weeks. So it's funny, they, uh, they've been remarkably quiet. And also the consumer has not really... Um, uh, on the mayonnaise rack, I noticed one jar, jar of mayonnaise that was left that was vegan, uh, not not the good stuff. Um, so it's anyway, the survivor, it's kind of the survivor mentality. I've always said when people go on Survivor, they will eat anything that shows Survivor, and I think they they start with a different idea. They're going to be gluten free or uh, you know whatever they they choose, right? It's all about choices, but they come out of it really in a different way. And I think the really interesting thing to me as a, as a scientist, um, you know, working with um, large numbers in agriculture and feeding a lot of people is that, um, you know, big pharma and big companies are always kind of, you know, smacked a little bit um, by some of those special interest groups. Until, they, right until, now, we, until we need them. Until we need them. And so here we are needing DNA sequencing. Here we are needing large amounts of test kits. We need that private business working with agriculture, working with um, the government to get the American people what they need. And that's really interesting to me how things, you know, change overnight. And, oh, you know, oh, it's, 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 uh, it's absolute. Um, I mean, it's, it's, uh, hypocritical as all hell. Uh, you know, you're, you, uh, obviously get it. All the Californians, uh, that, uh, are going into juries and making sure that Bay or Monsanto is punished and put out of business because of, uh, somebody got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and they claim it's from spraying Roundup. If there was a malaria, worldwide epidemic of malaria, mosquito-borne, uh, mosquito-transmitted malaria, those same idiots would be clamoring for Bayer to get back into the manufacturing of DDT and clamoring for the, you know, so it's, it's very hypocritical indeed. I think it's really, you know, to your point, I think it's really important for us to keep all of those tools in our tool chest, things like genetically modified organisms, um, uh, you know, all of those biotech things that maybe are so popular. And, you know, we don't know when we are going to need to use those. Do we need to continue to do the due diligence on them? Yes. Do we need to do the best science that we can do? Yes. We always have done that. Move forward, move up and move on. But, you know, we can't uh, delete or erase or reduce some of those really powerful things that we have in our arsenal to solve issues like the coronavirus and continue to be good at the biosecurity that, you know, uh, we do. Um, you can't find bleach. You can't find staffing. You can't find disinfectants. All of those things that, guess what? We have a lot of them in stock in our industry because 
we use those well-studied, food-safe, uh, amazing products uh, you know, in, in our line of defense to reduce the spread of disease. Okay, so I applaud the hog industry. Uh, Bill Even, who's with the National Pork Board, was at a speaker at an event where I attended last year, and he talked about the extreme measures the pork industry was going to take and combining with uh, the Homeland Security and all that with dogs that could sniff if, if some Chinese person is carrying sausage in their suitcase. And yes, they do that. I'm telling you, do I sound anti-Chinese? No, I sound realistic about China. They've given the world African swine fever, the coronavirus. They've devastated my own forests uh, with the emerald ash borer. So they're, they're amazing at exporting uh, bugs that kill. Um, so anyway, the pork industry has staved off the, the African swine fever for two years. In poultry, what what have we done a good job? I mean, because birds get sick, uh, and they are in uh, they are housed uh, closely. You know, uh, imagine if they're out there running around the pasture, they get eaten by a hawk. If they're in a house, then they get disease. What's our number one problem in poultry? What's what do we battle there? Well, I, I don't know that there's something that's number one. Um, you know, what we battle is um, you know a whole host of things, but. Um, you know, one of the things that we do well is, um, you know, we have high-tech, advanced, amazing facilities that we can house our birds in. Um, our infrastructure is very different. You mentioned China and some of those other countries. I, I've lived in Hong Kong. I've, I've lived all over the world, so I've had an opportunity to, to look at a lot of those different types of um, you know, ways that they raise livestock. We do it very different here. So we, um, you know, have modern high-tech facilities that we can keep our um, livestock um, safe, predatory-free, um, uh, you know, environmentally controlled. When it's hot in Arizona, um, a bird's temperature is 106 degrees. And so we can keep them cool. Um, we have the ability to keep them uh, away from the protection of, uh, you know, other birds, migratory birds that might carry those diseases. Um, some of the things that we're challenged with is, um, you know, uh, basic gut health. Um, you know, we don't want to, uh, you know, transmit some of those diseases that can be carried, um, you know, by uh, other animals into our poultry houses. And so, you know, rather than, you know, speak of specific diseases, I'm really talking in generalities about, you know, what we have done, what we have the ability to do in terms of protecting our poultry. You know, avian influenza has been a concern in the past. And, you know, many years ago, we had a, a brush with uh, H5N1, um, which is a um, avian influenza. And we we're worried about what that was going to do. It started in Southeast Asia, and because we have really good biosecurity um, procedures in place, we were able to, you know, uh, mitigate that. And so that didn't really come here. Uh, like I said, they do things really differently, um, you know, in other parts of the world. Um, you know, they they don't have the infrastructure, the the ability to do that, and sheer population. So we're talking about millions and millions of people living in a really different way. We have a safe and, and clean uh, uh, food supply. Um, you know, we raise our livestock like that, and our producers are committed to it. So, um, you know, we just have put procedures in place to protect the livestock that, that and, and poultry that we have. 
Yeah, really, it's about habits. It's it's like, you know, just like I say in business, you want to be successful, just every day have a good habit, you know, and, and have several habits that you do every day. That's what we're talking about with uh, American uh, animal production, livestock production, is that... They're used to. They, they, they don't think of, of not to do it. Like you said, it's a habit. You know, if you're in that business or you work in that industry, it's something that's not foreign and it's just like, you know, putting on your shoes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we, we probably were guilty of overusing antibiotics. We're using that much more judiciously now in all livestock. And now we're talking about more things like vaccines and just you know, protocols and practices and habits. And we do have the, a very healthy support. Uh, you know, livestock industry. So here's the thing. Humans aren't livestock. We can, uh, we can do a lot of things with a chicken barn that we can't do with humans. Uh, you and I talked about this when we were not recording yesterday. And I said, I still think this is a little overblown and we're going to take trillions of dollars out of the economy by restricting movement, et cetera. And you said, no, it's a short-term thing we should do. So you and I disagree a little bit on that. Either way, this isn't the chicken barn. This is the world. What what uh, what could we do? I mean, these things, do you really think it's time to, because if you say shelter in place, hey, don't leave your house for the next three weeks. Then on that 23rd day, 22nd day, when they leave, do they go out and just start spreading the disease again? Um, you know, it's something that we have to, to watch very carefully, you know, in things that we do, you know, even in our own world in agriculture, um, you know, we, we have to work with, um, you know, state and, and local governments and um, scientists to really watch how this disease is going to behave. We don't really know. We have hypothesis. Um, you know, we, we, we kind of think we know. We've been dealing with coronavirus in, uh, you know, uh, people Beef. and animals, you know, for a really long time. We have good vaccinations that uh, we give to um, livestock for that purpose. So in answer to your question, I think that we have to, you know, we're, we're easing out of it. We should probably have gotten to that mark a little bit faster, but I think we have to take it seriously, um, you know, on both ends of it. I don't think on day 23, we just kind of go back out there and start living our lives. We probably will leave this experience a lot better at um, personal hygiene and looking at those things that maybe we could have done a little bit better. I think we'll be better, we'll be more careful, we'll be more educated. And because we have great scientists in this country, um, you know, we're, we're gonna get there quickly. Something that uh, I believe it just came out of Johns Hopkins is that we are going to start collecting um, antibodies um, from uh, those folks that have already recovered from the coronavirus and uh, giving the antibodies to first line, um, you know, first responders and, uh, you know, ER doctors and such. And so if you study those flus, those pandemics that have gone before this, we didn't have the ability to do what we have to do today. So, uh, I, I would feel really good about where we are and when we come out of it uh, that how we're going to behave because it, it you know, we're, we're doing it as a collective um, uh, group and I think people are really doing pretty well um, at it. Okay, so if you really, since we're saying from the very beginning of this podcast, we're, it's a discussion, of course, but we also said, Michelle, we were going to uh, 
say, what can society learn from agriculture, especially here in North America, where we're so darn good at it. You know, we don't have these livestock diseases. We don't have, uh, you know, half our herd being wiped out, bovine brucellosis, tuberculosis, all that. And now um, we said practices and habits. And, you know, you talk about some of the practices, the good thing that agriculture can do and has done, at least here, we don't let this perpetuate. Like, by God, we are on it like that. And I can go back. You and I both frustrate ourselves. We couldn't remember the actual disease, but I was a kid on the dairy farm and it was wiping out dairies. And then painful as it was, we went in with bulldozers, uh, took the cattle into a pit and, and killed them. And you can't do it with humans <laughs> for stuff. Uh, you can't, you can't do that, uh, to mitigate the spread of disease here, but we act fast. That's a habit that really proves they've been politicizing the heck out of this, blaming Trump, whatever. I'm going to get into politics. I just tell you that acting fast is one thing that's helped us in agriculture. Sometimes you have to do extreme things to get to the goal that you want to do. It may not be comfortable. We live in a society that um, is comfortable. We have everything that we have ever wanted um, in most cases. Um, we are wealthy. We're well-fed, thanks to the American farmer. Um, so you can, dial, you can dial up on Amazon and get you a, a Michael Kors person the next day to your doorstep. I mean, we've got it pretty darn well, admittedly. Uh, and so the comfort thing, yeah, it's uncomfortable to see a bunch of, uh, imagine the animal do-gooders and then the average person. And then not only the person that's a farmer, I'd say, I just took my whole herd out here into this pit and shot them. Uh, it's uncomfortable, but we did act fast and we took care of that in, in pretty short order, really. Everyone's going to have to make some sacrifices and, you know, have a, a, a new normal. And so, like you said, what can we learn from the things that we do in agriculture and biosecurity? Um, you know, we can learn to have new habits. We can, for God's sake, we can start by washing our hands. Um, you know, think about even yourself, you know, when you walk into uh, you know, a, a place and, you know, have, have a meal. You know, do you really go in and wash your hands for 20 seconds be, before you eat? You know, probably a lot of people can do some basic things to change that. You know, even with our children with, you know, um, inanimate surfaces, I don't think that we need to go crazy, but I think that we can tighten that up and do just a little bit better. Do we need to all be wearing hairnets and and uh, face masks and biosecurity suits? Probably not, but there's a lot of things that we can do better in our world, and we can learn them from the, you know, the folks in agriculture that have been doing them for a really long time. Okay, so if I'm thinking about what we, and particularly in the meats and the poultries and the, milk, you know, the, the animals, what we've done really well is we have really good protocols and practices and make them habits, like habitual. I went and saw a large-scale poultry facility over the summer, and it was just like, uh, it was just like uh, signing in at the doctor. They said, okay, you're going to sign in. Have you been on a poultry farm in the last, you know, whatever, day, week, month? Um, do you own poultry? Uh, and then please wear this. You know, boom, it was a habit of practice, a protocol. So we're real good at that. We react pretty promptly and we take the measures necessary. You know, like I said, hauling the cattle into a pit and shooting them was ugly. But by God, we made it. Thing, but we need to make some sacrifices. And, and sometimes it's, sometimes it's ugly. Um, you know, I was going to go with another one, Michelle. I was going to go with another one that we do. 
uh, and this is where you come in from the land grant university system from the standpoint of education and it's not because of just the education it's the information china did not do anybody any favors in the world over by their communist crap of locking down and censoring. If we have an outbreak of pseudo rabies, that was the big one in the 1980s and 90s with hogs, right? Um, yeah. By God, the State Department of Agriculture in Iowa immediately said, hey, we're at Iowa State University. We've just tested this uh, hog herd out here, has pseudo rabies, and now Minnesota knows and California knows we're really good at that isn't that another thing that we do well we've always done that well um, thank God I can say say that on your uh, on your channel here thank God for the Center for Disease Control and Prevention and all the reporting agencies um, uh, all of the uh, county farm bureaus all of those folks that work can work together and do work together and report those diseases and report those things so we have the best information and we can set up a command post, we can organize it quickly and we can knock it out. And that's what we really do well. And here's the other thing about agriculture and, you know, the, the people that are in this industry is, you know, uh, they know how to work. They work hard. Uh, you know, uh, I always say to, uh, you know, my students and kids and anybody that'll listen, you know, the cows don't know it's Christmas. If you have a broken water line, we're going to fix it. And you know what? We're going to fix it quick, stay up all night. We're going to do it right. And we're not going to half-ass it. And I can tell you that I was out there at Christmas uh, and probably fixing a frozen water pipe. Uh, <laughs> and I was kidding. Okay, so I'm thinking about what society can learn and what agriculture. And again, we're not we're not saying, oh, you guys suck at this. Just like these are things that have really helped keep our food supply safe and our food abundant. And it's because of all these the habits and the practices. So we said good habits and practices that we just operate every day. We said the information sharing. We said the ability to react and act quickly and decisively. I was going to throw another one out there. I believe it was the hoof and mouth disease that I read about where we had a problem between maybe England and here. I'm going back, and so anybody listening or watching this podcast, if you're an expert about this, you will not hurt my feelings by correcting me. But as I remember the article, and it's been quite a while, that we did such a good job of collaboration between Britain and the United States, which has also happened a bit on mad cow disease between Britain, Canada, and the United States. Uh, so I think there's a lot of collaboration that we've done well within agriculture. It's not just Fresno State and Iowa State working with each other. It's also Edinburgh or some university over in Europe. So that's where I think the collaboration has helped us. I think you're right. And, and actually, I was in Ireland during that time and on my way back um, to uh, California. And they did a really good job at the airport screening people that, uh, you know, had visited any farm. So their um, uh, agriculture folks were working with our um, Department of Agriculture to make sure that we, you know, looked at those incidences of people on farms who's traveled well or where, you know, we looked at, you know, how we could spread that disease. And so I went through a really long line um, on my way back into the United States, you know, when we went uh, through immigration, you know, because of, you know, what I did in Ireland. And I didn't spend a lot of time on a bunch of farms, but I thought, you know, it's my duty. And they were doing an amazing job of, of communicating, you know, on um, hoof and mouth disease. Okay, so I just said what we can learn from. Is there anything else? You know, I said react, uh, you know, uh, 
good practices and habits, talked about uh, the information sharing, and then also the collaboration even across borders. Is there anything else that I'm missing that we, that, which is why we have such a safe livestock industry? You know, this is going to um, sound a little bit funny, and we talked about it before we um, uh, started recording, is, you know, I think we need to keep our sense of humor, and I think we need to keep it in perspective. Um, I did a, an online kind of gym workout this morning. I went out and rode my horse a little bit earlier. Um, you know, things non-traditional that, that we do, I think we can help each other, you know, through this by keeping it in perspective and keeping it as light as, as we possibly can. Humor is important. You're a comedian. You know, we need to continue to enrich, um, you know, those things in our lives. Um, I had a virtual um, uh, St. Patrick's Day party. I said, it's BYOB. Everybody bring your own Guinness. Um, you know, things like that. Um, uh, you know, uh, keep in contact with our, you know, family. Um, I teach a lot of um, animal-assisted therapy. Um, you know, we need to, to pet our animals, keep ourselves happy. Um, you know, there are real things that can happen just for us biochemically when we are in a positive state of mind through all of this. So, you know, I think I would add that. And I don't think that's really crazy because there's all of these things that we can do to put um, biosecurity procedures in place and, um, you know, follow the, follow the direction of, uh, of the, the government. But I think that that's an additional thing that, that we can do to keep ourselves um, healthy. I was going to give one last one before we sign off. And this is a salute to the people that you and I are from. You and I are agricultural people. We're, we work with them. We're around them. We are them. And I'm going to say one more thing besides all the other things that society can learn is Agriculture was very pragmatic, you know, sometimes almost like uh, is criticized for being too much that way, but pragmatic versus panic, uh, you know, practical versus uh, paranoia and always still productive. And if you really think about that, I hope that society, I know that folks are working from home and most people don't even know how to do that. I put a, I put a podcast out about how to do that because I've always worked from home for 27 years. Um, you know, have a dedicated space, how to be efficient, how to buckle down. Yeah, I know you got the kids now because they're not in school, but you know what? You're going to have to give them attention. You're going to have to go give your business attention. Agriculture has done a great job, Michelle, of always being productive even during bad times. Uh, okay, we got we got a we got a disease outbreak, but by golly, you know what? We're going to shift production over here. We're going to do this. That's what America needs to do right now: is just be like the farmer mentality. Shit's hitting the fan, but that doesn't mean that we still can't produce. We still got to produce more uh, creatively. We've we've got to do it, and we're figuring out what the new normal is. And you know, ingenuity. We just kind of need to think through it, put our heads together, stay calm. And you're right. Agriculture has always been the king of multitasking, raising your family, taking care of, of the land and the livestock and, you know, doing the best that we can. And, you know, even not just from the farming standpoint, you know, the whole chain, uh, the professors like you or whatever, we've done a really good job saying, okay, like with the big, huge weather problems, the seed companies, to their credit, said, all right, we're going to be changing out seed and getting you shorter, shorter variety seed, and we're going to work with you on, uh, on payments. I mean, really, the industry as a whole always does the adaptation to still produce, and there's a lot of people that are just normal consumers that are eating their dinner right now and not realizing that it's because of that 
practicality versus panic uh, and still producing that uh, is, is this why they're able to eat. And, um, you know, something that probably hasn't been said a lot and maybe, you know, we haven't as a society noticed is, uh, you know, I know there's been a lot of run on the, the supermarkets and, you know, frozen food and, and, you know, fresh and frozen meat, and we're still filling the shelves. And so we're still out there in our processing plants, you know, working with USDA to see how can we do this for our um, you know, workers and for, you know, uh, the people that buy our products um, the best way that we can. They're working 24-7 to put chicken in the grocery store yeah. and it's in the pipeline. And yeah. so that hasn't, that hasn't stopped. And I don't think a lot of people have thought about how that, you know, the farmers and ranchers and the, the producers are getting that done because they're faced with the same challenges that we all are. Well, it's a historic run on food, Michelle. I mean, it's like it's like the classic runs on banks during the Great Depression. It's just that, yeah, the banks closed and FDR gave them a bank holiday. Well, we haven't done that with the grocery stores, and there have been runs on grocery stores. So we're doing a good job. But, hey, closing thought, and then we got to get out of here. So my closing thought is, you know, keep doing the things that we're doing. Learn from what we have done well in the past. Wash your hands and continue to be – Funny. <laughs> you be funny. Well, that's good. All right. Her name, and by the way, if you've got a conference coming up, I know that the next couple of months are going to be hairy, but for crying out loud, speaking of funny, you know, I deliver commentary and information about the business of food and agriculture, and I deliver it in a funny way. So please check me out at DamianMason.com. Do subscribe to the YouTube channel, D Mason Comedy, uh, where you can listen to as well as view these podcast. Her name is Michelle Gancy. She's professor of animal science at California State University at Fresno, otherwise known as Fresno State. She's a bulldog. She's also an Arizona wildcat, which is why we like one another. Thank you for being here, Michelle Gancy. Thanks for having me, Damien. And uh, as a college professor, I use this in my animal science classes. And she's and holding up food here, by the way. All right. Till next time, it's the business of agriculture. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Business of Agriculture, please share it with your network. Be sure to connect with Damien on LinkedIn, like his Facebook fan page, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. For speaking inquiries or to purchase Damien's books, Food Fear, or Do Business Better, go to DamienMason.com.